Welcome to the 10th episode of season two of the Sand Dune podcast. We are your hosts, Hans and Frank. And if you'd like to join the conversation, tweet us at Sand Dune podcast or email us talk at sanddune.org. Good uh, afternoon, Frank. How are you today? Good afternoon, Hans. I'm doing pretty well. Right now, my life is filled with trying to make uh, travel and training arrangements because uh, we're taking a scuba diving vacation. We're trying to get uh, our son certified as well. So we'll see if he takes to the water or not. Nice. Huh. Well, I, I still have my scuba certification sitting around here somewhere, but I don't think I trust myself to <laughs> hold a regulator, let alone try to put it in my mouth. Yeah, it never expires. But they say if you've been out of the water longer than they've made money from you, then you should come back and give them some more money. But it's also a good idea. Yeah, well, that'd be great. That'd be great. That'd be a good uh, good trip for you. Are you are you going before our next podcast, or are you? Uh, I guess you're going in a couple of weeks, right? So we'll have one more podcast before. We'll we have go. one more. I think we'll be. I'll probably be, you know, podcasting while I'm packing. It's probably <laughs> what's what's going on because we're leaving on Good Friday. All right. Well, uh, let's see. On my front, uh, I just wanted to mention that right now we did get some listener feedback this time from Europe. Uh, we found out that if you have uh, an interesting topic, such as we talked about Ukraine last time, the uh, then users who are listening to the podcast, or why am I calling them users? <laughs> That's funny. But uh, listeners who are listening to our podcast, uh, if we bring up interesting topics, then people will listen to our podcast. So uh, on this episode, I think we'll talk about a bunch of techie things. I'm not sure if that'll appeal as much to uh, some of the listeners we have, but uh, you know, uh, we appreciate the feedback and people telling us uh, what they like and uh, don't like. Yeah, we can do more topical stuff as long as I think it relates back to our transparency argument. I came up with one just this week, which is super topical. And I know, Hans, you don't care about this one. Um, <laughs> a lot of people don't, but then a billion people saw it happen. So I'm it's kind of hard to avoid it. Please tell us. So it's obviously the Oscars issue where, um, for those of you who don't know um, or haven't seen the 11 million teleplays or seen the meme of this happening displace the meme of Batman slapping Robin. Um, during the awards Oscar telecast, uh, Chris Rock, who was a presenter, he wasn't even a host, made a joke about Will Smith's wife. It was apparently ad-libbed. It really wasn't a very good joke. It fell flat. Um, Will Smith laughed a little, then looked at his wife, who was enraged. And then he gets up, closes the 20 feet in between him and Chris Rock, and then just open-handed slaps him across the face. Goes back to his seat, sits down, and starts screaming at him, expletive, expletive, etc. cetera. Um, apparently... ABC had cut the feed in the U.S., but a lot of the uh, around the world people um, weren't playing it on a delay and uh, were able to post all of this stuff online. So the still images of this, like I said, displaced the meme as uh, the one guy slapping another meme. And it's provoked an enormous reaction online saying, well, Chris Rock was wrong to make the joke or Will Smith was wrong to hit him and and back and forth and up and down and turning it into all kinds of different issues. And it tied back for me to transparency in a way, um, in this way, that 
to understand what you're looking at, sometimes you need context about how the organization you're looking at works. So most people watching the Academy Awards show think about it as if it's, you know, it's a words gala. These people just kind of came to have dinner. It's and like a party, right? Yeah, it's like a big party and everyone just kind of circulates and they look at this incident as two guys having a beef over a bad joke, right? And that's how a lot of people are looking at it. Whereas the reality and what I'm talking about context is as far as the Academy is concerned, that show is work. That's a workplace, right? All of these people are in, actually, most of these people are in, you know, the union. This is a workplace. The people up on stage are working. It blurs this line. But a long time back, and especially with Me Too and Harvey Weinstein and everything, um, the Academy and a lot of other places started taking the workplace more seriously, meaning that it's not just being on the set. It's not just being in the office, but it's anywhere that this organization represents and gathers is actually a workplace. So that kind of drastically changes the calculus of uh, what is actually going to happen and what actually could happen, right? A lot of people were saying, well, you know, get the police involved. And, and uh, apparently Chris Rock declined to have Will Smith arrested. Um, apparently they did have a policeman on the spot it's a normal procedure to have one there, I guess, in case somebody tries to streak, which I think happened in one of the Oscar shows in the 70s. Yeah, but um, that would have been an awkward arrest and you don't want to arrest Will Smith. No, you know, you, especially, you know, given the, the the optics of that situation, you never want to hand someone over to the LAPD like that. <laughs> I think even if he'd drawn blood, he would have said no. Yeah. Plus, I'm sure he was shocked. Uh, most A lot of people thought it was a bit. A lot of people thought it was a, it was a joke. There were yeah. people who days after thought it was a joke or are wondering still if it's a joke, but uh, it's, it's not a joke. And the interesting thing is now the Academy is investigating it and they're going to uh, assemble on April 18th to uh, decide what to do about it. Because like I said, after, Har after Harvey Weinstein, basically all of the activity around him exposed all of the bad behavior that was going on, the reprehensible stuff, they rewrote all of their rules and they're public. And here's part of the transparency thing, too. It's like all of their codes of conduct and their expectations and the potential sanctions are all public record now. So you might think it was about two guys having a beef over a bad joke. And maybe that's where it started. But from an HR point of view, the Academy is treating it as workplace violence. And pretty much the one thing you can do to get walked out pretty reliably is to hit somebody. It doesn't matter who started it. It doesn't matter how it it ended up that way. Um, and I'm not, you know, I'm not saying I'm on one side or the other. I'm just, I think it's just really interesting to point out that while everyone is, tends to want to protect the person that they're a fan of, in reality, the Academy is going to treat it as if this were, you know, a fight in the cafeteria and they're going to act accordingly. Right. So what you're basically saying is this is a workplace issue. This is effectively the board has to get together and figure out, hey, we've had a very high profile workplace violence thing. And because of how public this thing was, they need to be very careful about how they come out and discuss it. Right? Yeah. But even after it's it recently, they've become much more 
cognizant and active about prosecuting these sorts of things because part of the knock on Hollywood is it turned a blind eye to all the awful things that were happening in its name for so long. Of course, you know, if anything is done in terms of taking awards away or, you know, expelling anybody, then of course the question is going to be on the Academy. Well, what about all these other people who acted terribly? And I think the Academy's response to that would be, yeah, well, that's all well and good, but it didn't happen in full view of a billion people on our, on our flagship telecast. Right. So, well, I mean, the only thing I have to add to this story, I think, is that I know somebody who is a district attorney and who has in the past prosecuted domestic violence cases. And if what I've found out from those cases is any indication, the typically people who are family will, even if there's overwhelming evidence, will not stand against the person who's committing the violence. And in fact, the people often who are the victims of domestic violence will try to defend the abuser. And so, you know, maybe this particular case, it wasn't obviously domestic violence, it was, you know, a slap. But I think the dynamics that are playing out here actually reflect quite a bit about how domestic violence actually happens. So it'll be interesting to see how this whole thing plays out beyond the Hollywood aspect of it. I mean, I tend to agree. There was there was also a lot of parsing of, um, you have to realize, and I should have probably said it earlier, that after this happened, he went back to his seat. He didn't get kicked out. Some of the uh, Academy governors wanted to eject him right there in the show. Uh, like 40 minutes later, he wins the Best Actor Award and he gives a tearful speech, which kind of meanders all over the place. Um, and he says a lot of things that uh, actually, I'm really not sure he, you know, was thinking very straight, you know, considering everything that had happened. Um, but there were some people who were parsing his speech as the, the kinds of things that somebody who abuses might say. Uh, and then there were people who were, you know, reading the tea leaves in the other direction. And that's that's when I'm sitting there going, you know, this this isn't about any of that. Uh, this is really about what what the workplace view of it is going to be. And so it really doesn't matter what I think, although, you know, we'll see what happens. I mean, the, the balls in whoever's court wants to go next and the academy is going to do their thing regardless. Right. They're going to do their anybody who's been in front of HR knows it's going to happen. There's nothing you can do about it. Right. They have their rules and they're going to do their thing and it's going to be inscrutable and impossible to fight. And if you yeah. think it's bad trying to fight your own HR department, try to fight the academy who has written all of their agreements and bylaws and everything else so they can literally do anything they want. Right. Well, I mean, I think the other aspect of this, I think that that's been coming out in the last couple of days is that this has completely sidestepped any publicity that usually comes out after the Oscars about who won what. I mean, yeah, King Richard was a great movie and Will Smith had a great performance in that. And I didn't even know he won that Oscar because of this particular thing. Well, not just that, but the, the award that was, um, that was being given out by Chris Rock. He was present. He was a presenter. He wasn't even a host. And yeah, it hung as a shadow over the show to the point where one of the hosts did come out not too long after that, after he had accepted his Oscar, right? I think really near the end and said, did I miss anything? It seems to be a little, feel a little different in here now. Uh, because yeah, the whole mood had changed. And uh, 
it, it, again, it'll be interesting to see what what they say. I wouldn't have cared so much except that I just saw that whole HR thing kind of come you know, stick out at me as a well, that's how they're going to resolve it. Because a lot of people were trying to figure out what's going to happen next. And I'm like, well, what happens next is fairly obvious. Yeah, so we'll see a lot more. Well, I mean, right. I think you, you it'll be an interesting story and it'll more things than one thing will happen, I think, out of this. There'll be what the Academy does and then that what the general internet response to it will be. And those will not necessarily be the same thing. So, well, uh, I have... That was a really interesting one. Uh, I've got a small little story from the entertainment industry that I'm not sure if everybody's sort of seen this. Uh, it's that Kanye West has a music player. And a friend of me, a friend of mine told me about this. And the, this is this little pebble-like looking device that you can hold in your hand and costs about $200. And the unique thing about it is you load music onto it. And then you can kind of move these little sliders, they call them stems, on there that lets you isolate vocals, bass, drums, and you could effectively use it as a mixing tool. So that if you know a song is playing, you could eliminate the vocals from a song and just hear the, the acoustics. Well, the idea here is pretty awesome, I think, because you're like, hey, that's, that's really neat because, you know, hasn't there been a time when I've sat at work and I've wanted to listen to her song and I didn't want to hear the lyrics because I didn't want them distracting me from reading something. Well, this thing tries to do this. Now, it doesn't do it perfectly and I haven't bought the auto player, so I can't review it, but there is a really nice YouTube video review of this particular thing. And apparently for songs that are created with it, it works kind of okay. Uh, but then what they also did is they took a online tool that lets you uh, record or take a media song and then they'll convert it into the format that'll play on this player. So, you know, they'll take like a Madonna song or something like that. And then they chop it up so that you can isolate vocals and bass and drums and so on. Uh, and that doesn't work nearly as well because it's trying to use AI to sync things out. And so sometimes when you get rid of the vocals, you also get rid of some part of the bass or the drums um, and uh, that, or the guitar lyrics, and uh, the guitar pieces. And then that ends up um, working like that. So uh, it's an interesting little technology from just experimental. What will be kind of curious is whether or not this thing has any adoption, because up until now, everybody listens to music on their various digital devices like iPhones and maybe even playing it through Apple TV or so. But I, I think it'll it'll be an interesting thing whether or not this gets any adoption. I would put my money on no, but Kanye West's pretty big deal in the music industry. So uh, who knows? I think it's probably a big deal for more artisty people who want to isolate a sick baseline. Because yeah, it's mixing. And obviously with you know, a lot of forms of mashup and stuff, you know, you want to pull different parts out and substitute different parts. You know, it also helps you kind of, you know, mix stuff together into one big long club mix. It's actually pretty cool. I think maybe it will do well in its niche. It won't become something everybody has, but it'll become something that everybody who's in that space has. Like everyone who wants to be a creator in the music space, and maybe it'll become like the indispensable item that they need. 
it sounds like a cool idea. I haven't, I haven't looked at it as much as you have, but um, it sounds fun. I think it'll probably be one of these things where like the Google glasses, where I was out with some friends and then one person said, Oh, I have the Google glasses. And then we all tried them out and we're like, okay, this is cool, but I'm never going to get one. And I, I'm, so I'm waiting until I can see what the Kanye West stem player looks like in person. <laughs> Well, at least you do not become a glass hole. No, I did not. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, speaking of things you uh, put on your face, uh, <laughs> uh, you had a story that you brought to my attention that uh, Kevin came from Vice around uh, facial recognition. We were talking about algorithms early on, and, and one of the ideas being, well, how is the algorithm trained? And how is the AI model trained is part of the transparency of how effective it is. So a lot of researchers are, are full well known of the fact that most facial recognition was trained with a very small set that was disproportionately skewed toward basically white male faces. So what they did was they're saying, well, if all of these biases are in the system and there's so little representation of certain kinds of faces, can we basically build a master key for faces? Because all it is, is this bunch of math. It's it's distance between waypoints on your face. That's all it's doing. It's making a, a hash of that. And, and sometimes not that many. And it turns out that they more or less built, I think it was seven or eight different faces that would open the vast majority of facial recognition programs by just building something that was close enough to the averages of what few entries there were in there. For example, there uh, Asian women are very much underrepresented in, in most models. So it was easier to build a face that would kind of, you know, work for all of them and so forth. So the interesting thing is that it exposes the idea that you need to be very careful with the data that you train your model with. And that's where the rigor comes in. Meaning, did you train it with all the data that you should probably have passed through it? And you and I as programmers know that process as bounds checking our input, right? Making sure that somebody can't get bad data into the system. And then we have to figure out how are all the different ways somebody's going to get bad data in here, you know, and then we try to idiot proof it. And then we try to find some idiots to break it. So along those lines, you have to find the proper data set that's going to give you the best coverage. Right. And if, well, I think the thing maybe to think about for anybody who hasn't, any experience with safe technology, it's it's not like it's taking a picture of you at like one day and then comparing that necessarily to a picture of you at the day that you're trying to scan your face, right? That to, to log in, right? It's not yeah. doing like a image to image comparison. They're, they're trying to detect certain uh, things about like you said, distance it's, and so it's on. measurements of your face. It's measurements yeah. between easily picked, easily picked waypoints on your face. You've all seen the, you know, when people do motion capture, and so you're in the green bodysuit with the ping pong ball stuck to you, so that they can have, capture all the motion. I haven't had the ping pong balls stuck to me, but well, no, not, not you, <laughs> right? But you know, people who are in the union and do this thing for a living, mm -hmm. um, you know, running around so that they can do the motion capture. Well, this kind of has learned how to do the motion capture on a picture. 
So it's measuring the distance between where it thinks the centers of your eyes are, where your nose is, kind of the shape of your face and things that shouldn't change with, you know, your hair or things that shouldn't change with, you know, uh, you having a half a beard or losing weight or gaining weight or things like that, right? right. Waypoints on your face that won't change. It yeah. just turns out if you don't train it with enough variations on, you know, certain people, it'll be much easier to fool. So basically you take a master face, present it to the computer, making it think it's scanning the face, but it's just looking at an image and, or a set of data. And then you're, you're basically unlocking the, the phone or whatever biometric security device that is sitting there. Yeah. I, I'm assuming they weren't actually like creating faces and, and putting them in front of phones. I think this was an academic exercise where they would feed the photos into, you know, the model sitting right next to it in the computer and, and the computer would just go positive negative. Right. right. Uh, they, they weren't using it to actually hack things. They were just doing a, a data analysis type of thing. So, because the other thing that came out was, I think some people have probably seen the article about uh, a lot of the, uh, accounts on LinkedIn that are reaching out, trying to sell you stuff, um, but people don't exist. And all of their faces are uh, AI created faces. And I think this was, this was how the uh, researchers in this case could use the same tool to go, okay, I can, I can turn the knobs on all of the different numbers on these faces and I can average them and we find a way to average them in such a way that the algorithm for the data set that figures out whose face is whose would be fooled by it. Because the algorithm actually kind of goes, oh, that's close enough. Because it does have some slop built into it, um, usually by the number of points it's comparing. Yeah. I, you know, this story reminds me of something that I had read about a while back, probably about a year ago, where also some security researchers were trying to fool visual detection systems, basically AIs that look at look for faces or look for things like cats or dogs. And one of the things they realized is that, and this totally blew my mind, but when you present the computer with a digital image and it, you know, just looking at dots, you know, of different colors and different orders and so on and brightnesses and, and that is that you could theoretically create an image that looks like complete static like it looks like a static that you would see on an old time television. And you present that to the AI that's trying to do the facial detection. And it looks at that image and says, yeah, that's a cat or that's a dog or that is Hans's face, but it's complete static. And the computer thinks it's static. So you, you don't even need the thing to look like anything that a human could recognize. You just need to trick the computer into thinking that with its sensors, that's the thing that it's seeing. So it could look like complete nonsense. And you're like, that piece of static is opening up my phone. What, what's going on? Yeah, it, it, it's true. And it's like the difference between like a lock doesn't care if you're putting a key in it or you're putting a bunch of lockpick tools in it. All it cares is that it's getting the right, it's getting the right points tickled and then it'll open up. And that's actually not a bad analogy to the way some of these algorithms work. Right. They're expecting to compare it to certain points. And if they're, you know, the visual data implies that, you know, this should be six and this should be eight and this should be three, regardless of how it got there, it will be accurate for opening it. Yeah. I like that analogy. That's uh, the lock picking versus having an actual key. That's a really, uh, really good one. All right. Well, speaking of visualization, I think we'll maybe wrap up our podcast with this last 
a little story. Uh, well, it's not a story. It's just uh, NASA has produced a global warming visualization. And we'll put a link into the show notes. Uh, and it obviously describes how over the last hundred or so years, uh, the temperature of Earth has increased. And we have, or the average temperature of Earth has increased. And there's a bunch of spinning lines uh, that show how this thing looks. And uh, it's kind of neat to look at. Um, not so neat to think about the consequences, but uh, certainly it's a interesting visualization. You know, we'll convince those of us who believe in global warming and those who do not uh, will do nothing at all to convince of, it, of anything. I don't think. Well, I don't think you can argue that it's getting warmer. I mean, you can bury your head in the sand and say it's not humans that are doing it. Um, but you can't ignore anymore that it's happening and it's still going to have an economic cost, regardless of what you believe caused it. And that's what this spiral shows is, is it's basically a graph made by drawing a spiral out from the center, showing average temperature and the amplitude of that spiral follows average temperature for 140 years. So the modern era, basically anything after 1880. Nice. All right. Very cool. Well, go check that out. And then uh, please tweet us at Sandune Podcast and uh, send us your emails. And we'll see you all again for another podcast in a couple of weeks. All right. Stay safe, everyone.